Hey there, Blank Bodies listeners. Before we get started with today's episode, I just wanted to give a quick thanks to everyone for such a great weekend at Gen Con. We had an impromptu get-together with some of our community members who were in town. It was super awesome to get to hang out, share some drinks, grab a bite, and meet a bunch of you. So thanks for everyone who came out. I'm definitely excited to do it again next year. Uh, Also, big thanks to Joel, or T. Williams, for inviting us out to the LARP, and all the STs who made it possible. It was my first time LARPing, and I was pretty nervous, but I'll be honest, I had an absolutely great evening in New Orleans. Um, And finally, I wanted to thank Jason for the chance to finally play some Wraith. Had a great time, but because of Gen Con... Uh, we're little, we had to flip our schedule back a little bit. We didn't have time to record a full episode. So instead, we have a little bonus interview I did a little bit in advance. So uh, here's my interview with Brent of On the Origin of Battle Mechs. Hope you enjoy and have a great day. Thanks. Welcome to Blank Bodies, a Vampire the Masquerade, Tabletop, and Horror Podcast. I'm Hunter, and today I have a very special guest. We have Brent with us today from On the Origin of Battle Mac. Yes, hello. This is Brent uh, Stewart. I do On the Origin of Battle Mac's podcast, and uh, I like to talk about big stompy robots. <laughs> That's about the best quick description I could think of. Uh, yeah. <laughs> It's like, wait, wait, sorry, I'm intrigued now, what? <laughs> For those who don't know much about Battletech, um, tell it's us a little... It's also known as the MechWarrior series, which a lot more people know it as because of the video games, because that is what the video games go by. But uh, classic Battletech or the Battletech universe has been around for 35 years. Uh, it's <clears throat> It started off as a... Uh, tabletop game or a board game technically and then quickly turned into you know a war game where there was more than could fit in a single box because that's how these things work uh classic battletech is a lot of fun but it's one of those games where oh there's rules and there's lots of rules and if you want to play a campaign set in the universe there's rules for that if you want to run a mercenary company there's rules for that there's how granular do you want to get is basically the one of the selling points of the universe, I feel, because you can be as fluffy and light and run around in a giant war machine of death, uh, shooting everybody laughing, or you can, you know, micromanage a spreadsheet. What do you want to do? <laughs> yeah, uh, I actually don't have a lot of personal experience with like war games. I at one point attempted to get into 40K, but that did not last very long. Um, my allowance did not allow for that. But um, I did- Wallet get, is a hurdle for that game. <laughs> yes. I actually did get into Battletech a little bit um, because I found they had the flat printouts. You could just print out the ships, mm-hmm. cut them out and do like little paper origami so this is one of the things that i think is really great about battletech as a game in uh the battletech manual like or sorry the battletech mech manual uh which is like your starting book you know like the the entry level to the universe for mech combat 
it literally says on one of the first couple pages, you can play this on anything you want, you know, use a bottle cap to signify a mech as long as things are clearly marked, have fun, you know, because this was also, it's been around for over 30 years and miniature production has gotten really good recently, but back in the day it was uh, spotty, we'll say. It's funny. I've seen some of the uh, like early D and D and like fantasy miniatures that now go for like thousands upon thousands of dollars just because they're so old. But then you mm-hmm. look at them and you're like, wait, that's supposed to be a what now? Yeah, it looks like uh, it looks like the top hat from Monopoly. It's supposed to be a kobold. <laughs> yeah. So uh, classic BattleTech specifically, which is like the focus of the podcast. Although we do reference uh, Alpha Strike quite a bit, which is the larger version which i can cover in a bit uh classic battle tech is usually played on a hex grid and you have map packs and uh these really cool uh play mats that uh catalyst games the uh current license holder for the tabletop has uh, come out with which are awesome they're basically you know play mats a la magic the gathering except a little bigger and has the map and hexes printed on it. And so you can just unroll and go, which I think is like, it's going to be great for playing when we can get back out there and start playing again. Yeah, I I, I found I liked it a lot for D&D and I, I don't really draw like big elaborate maps anymore. I usually pull out like a square grid, but mm-hmm. and then just like dry erase on that. So I feel yeah. like having that quick laid out go, you're moving. I always mm-hmm. hated the arguments that came out of like the little bit of Warhammer I played with the rulers. Yeah. And like I said, classic Battletech has a lot of rules and can get into the, uh, you know, how deep do you want to go? And I personally think that that rule set uh, is best played with each player playing a, a single machine and it being more of like a Solaris one-on-one uh, or, you know, like a team versus uh, someone playing an, an op four sort of thing, as opposed to, you know, people controlling multiple things, because uh, then it can just get slowed down in the, you know, table politics of who wants to go first and that kind of stuff. <laughs> that being said, Megamech is a great online resource for playing with people online uh, that does a lot of the heavy lifting. <laughs> Okay, so it's kind of like Foundry or something like that, but for... Yeah, so it uh, Megamech uh, is, and shout out to these guys, because they are all volunteers and uh, members of the community that have, in my opinion, done a lot of work to keep the uh, IP alive. Megamech is a open source, uh, free to play, uh, basically, uh, I think it's actually Flash or something equivalent, very basic stripped down interface for playing classic Battletech. It has all of the rule sets uploaded, all of the uh, images for the miniatures from like directly over top. Uh, There's a lot of really cool stuff in there. It's just not particularly intuitive, or if it is, it's because you are from the old days of uh, computers. And um, it's really rewarding when you want to roll up your sleeves and get in there, but the learning curve is quite high. Uh, And then you have, uh, as I mentioned earlier, Alpha Strike, which is a relatively newer format where you control more units and the uh, rules are simplified and streamlined so that you can have whole engagements as opposed to a, you know, focus of 
a duel sort of thing. Okay, so it simplifies the rules, but then it gives you more pieces to counterbalance mm -hmm. that. Yeah, like if you were wanting to play a game with combined arms and infantry uh, and power armor in classic Battletech, that is a weekend, you know, whereas in Alpha Strike, that's an afternoon. So if someone were new and we're like, this, uh, this, this Battletech stuff sounds great, uh, what, where would you point them out first? I mean... Well, uh, my elevator pitch of what would you be interested in is, uh, my elevator pitch for Battletech is kind of, uh, it's Game of Thrones in space in a thousand years, but instead of knights, it's giant stompy robots. And Battletech also takes place over several hundred years. Like the, it has distinct eras, as in you have the uh, early Star League, which is this like golden age of uh, humanity expanding and technological progress and huge leaps in innovation. But there's also a dark underside about, you know, the periphery being brought into line, see ancient Rome as a parallel. And uh, you get after that, the, the fall of the Star League and succession wars, which is all of the remaining great houses vying for control of what's left. And during that time, they quite literally nuke each other down the tech ladder. So you have this high tech level and then you have this dark age. And as the fiction comes in at the fourth succession war, humanity has started to find these things called uh, memory cores, which are basically big hard drives from the Star League era that has all the tech info. And so it's like, ah, oh, we know how to make these things now. And you start to get that re-climb in uh, technology. And just when things are starting to look stable or whatever, that's when the clans show up. A warrior culture designed quite literally in an iron womb ruled by a warrior caste driving towards Terra. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the quote unquote like beginning first 25 years of what the novels cover the fiction where we're at now is actually a hundred years later and there has been tons of events there was a fast forward because of uh you know the ip changing hands and all that kind of stuff because real world and now there's the new star league has shown up because someone has taken Terra and we will see how they are able to defend it and what grows from here. So uh, when you talk about these different eras um, and you're playing the actual game, would you like both players agree to play mechs from a certain era or is it kind of the text from this whole period is open, but the lore is there if you want to dig into it? Kind of both. I mean, if you're just going to be down at your local game shop and doing a pickup game, you're probably not going to be super concerned about matching tech level. Uh, in the game, there is a uh, number system called uh, battle value, which translates across all eras. So uh, something that is in the Succession Wars era or like 3025, which is like the beginning has a battle value of 625 for the sake of argument. Well, that battle value is still the same 125 years later. It's just, you know, a lot of other light mechs are at the same tonnage now have a battle value of a thousand because they have shinier tech. 
So the battle value system allows you to uh, balance things by like, you know, modifying your pilot uh, numbers, which allows you to hit or, uh, you know, pilot and survive getting hit better. And there's all these kinds of things that you can do to do that for like a pickup game. But if you want to do the like era specific or a campaign or like your local game shop is having like, a, all right, we're having a grinder, you know, 1000 BB, uh, bring a battle force, and it is, you know, early succession wars, that means you can only get anything from that era. And they could even also go deeper and be you can only get stuff from that era and your faction. And uh, there's a really great resource called uh, Master Unit List online. It's a free uh, resource also run by volunteers uh, that uh, you can look up uh, any unit. There's a chart for its battle value with all of the modified uh, pilot numbers, and you can cross-reference things. It will tell you who has it when in what eras when things go extinct because this is a universe where machines just disappear <laughs> so it sounds like there's a lot of really good resources for someone who is interested in getting into the game to start I, out with i think so and i hope that my podcast can be considered one of them because that's uh kind of the aim of the podcast we're covering each battle mech chronologically uh and going until we're caught up, which is still a good couple hundred years. So we call that job security. And uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, just we cover each machine as it comes out, the first model, and then each iteration, we cover the lore behind it, who makes it, where it's from, any important people that piloted it. And uh, then we also have uh, another section, which is just, you know, general lore or anything interesting ideally it's attached to the machine in some way and uh so if somebody wants to be like oh, you know i picked up this force pack because that's what the uh packs of mechs are called from catalyst you get uh you know anywhere from four to six machines in one of those and it's like okay i got a a black knight a hermes uh and something else and something else because i don't remember them all because who can memorize all of those things when you can just know where they're written down but it's like, okay, I've got a, this machine. I don't know anything about this machine. Well, here's a resource to learn all you need to know about this machine. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so when you go into the history of a specific mech, um, like what all goes behind that? Um, like, like what, what is my research process? <laughs> no, no, like what kind of information goes with it? Like, are you talking about how it's designed, how they were used? Like, uh, so. Stepping back from the show, uh, my background uh, is I have a diploma as a mechanical engineering technologist uh, from my local college back home. Uh, haven't really worked in the field because of uh, timing and economic reasons. Woo, 2008 crash. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I was inspired to go into mechanical engineering because I thought robots and technology are cool. And I really liked that the Battletech series as a kid, as a teenager growing up. And I thought, you know, like, let's try and make something that I think is cool, real and didn't pan out, but it is what it is. So now I take that knowledge and that information and I apply it to the rest of my life because, you know, waste not, want not. 
And one of the things is I go, okay, let's look at this mech. Well, that's silly. That You can totally see the actuator. That, that, no wonder it has that quirk of exposed actuators. Of course, it's going to get a shot there and fall over, you know, or we talk about how, you know, some have articulated heads and like field of vision. We talk about what their mission profile would be. Uh, my co-host uh, Chandler is uh, also has a engineering background, but in a different field. And uh, my previous co-host, my previous co-host uh, Joshua, uh, actually spent time uh, serving in the Marines uh, in the U.S. or, or for the U.S. Uh, and uh, so you know had some experience seeing the battlefield uh, at least a heck of a lot more than I have and um, he has uh, stepped back because life and other things and uh, to fill his uh, seat uh, we have Derek who actually just joined the rest of us in the continental North America from being deployed in uh, South Korea uh, and he uh, oversaw a uh, logistics pool there so you know there's and i work ship <clears throat> i also work uh, shipping receiving as my day job so i have like logistics experience and again this is a universe of how granular do you want to get because it can get real crunchy <laughs> oh, no i think that's awesome so it sounds like you guys kind of go into the history of the thing uh how <laughs> the ship works and then you apply like actual real world engineering and like for lack of a better term like battle experience to yeah. these uh max i like that that's a cool angle mm -hmm. i mean these are these are ultimately fictional things and toys and so you know we can t talk about it in a safe space but like if this were real it's like oh no this is bad stuff <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> I don't, I don't, a little bit of a side tangent, but I don't know if you ever watched, uh, I believe it was like a Kickstarter project, but they were trying to start like a real like mech fighting ring where they're trying to build like the actual battle mechs and it's been a nightmare just uh, trying to design them. Yeah, no, like, so the biggest hurdle right now, my understanding, haven't looked at it very closely in the real world tech for a while is a uh, power source, like the the two hand wavium technologies that BattleTech has is uh, it was last year I believe that GM figured out uh, uh, fis no fusion fusion uh, nuclear energy uh, so that's cool uh, there our timeline apparently is <clears throat> our timeline is apparently the dark one because you know we don't have that yet and uh, the other thing is these. Uh, Moyamer muscles, which are basically a crystalline muscle thing that when you send electricity through it, it uh, contracts, which is how they like replace the hydraulics or what have you for how things move and all of that. And, you know, of course, if you actually, there's a few machines that we get, you know, the cross-section uh, schematics for because they're the, the pretty ones that they put on posters and if you know a lot about how things work it's like mm, the way this moves it would not it doesn't have the range of motion you think it does <laughs> if you uh if you i looked i looked up the name of it if you want to see a very disappointing robot fight it's from 2017 it was the japanese karatas 
versus the U.S.'s Megabot, and the Megabot oh, looks. Yeah, I've seen that. Yes, yes. And it is maybe one of the like saddest fights I've ever seen. There's so much hype for it, and then what? They're basically just shooting fireworks at each other and like yeah, kind of bumping into each other. But so yeah, real world's way far off. But yeah, which is probably a good thing. <laughs> yeah but, but uh yeah yeah no the universe is interesting uh one of the differences is uh you know humanity has spread throughout the stars uh but our tech level like i said regressed and even when it was at its height we didn't have instantaneous communication between planets we had to build generators that would send basically radio pulses through subspace to other ones that would pick it up and so there was a delayed reaction because you can only shoot a message x amount of light years just like you can only jump x amount of light years and so the universe is very methodical and plotting it isn't kind of just like a fleet shows up on the home world it's more of a like our war front has been pressed for six months <laughs> okay yeah it makes sense uh I always find it interesting when you look at series like this and they come closer to real life. Like you said, it's been around for like 35 years. Same with like Shadowrun. You look at the original Shadowrun and now it's like, well, a cell phone and the original Shadowrun was like, would have been like hyper expensive, but mm-hmm. we still don't have like a beginner robot arm, but we you can call anyone in China whenever you want for free at this point. So little little bits of tech like that that end up are always interesting to see. Which is, uh, you know, uh, to segue ever so slightly, I think one of the strengths of V5, because it addresses some of the increases in tech, V5 being the uh, Vampire the Vampire the Masquerade 5th edition. Absolutely. I know some of the lore updates have been pretty controversial, but I mean, I think they make sense. Uh, like there's no way the Nosferatu would just keep some online website with like a password that even the CIA can't crack yeah. up anymore. Like there's some things that needed that needed changed. Mm-hmm. But um but yeah, speaking of vampire, um how how did you get into vampire originally? So uh I've always been kind of aware of vampire. You know, it's one of those things of growing up in the age I did. It was one of those things where it kept the uh it was the lightning rod for the residual satanic panic we'll say <laughs> so it's one of those things that you at least knew about uh never really got a chance to explore it but was always kind of interesting uh particularly because all my life i've been interested in the occult specifically the monsters of zombies and vampires have always been quite interesting to me because uh well they're powerful metaphors for a lot of the uh, human condition that can be mapped onto it. And um, I uh, watched uh, <clears throat> I watched uh, the Not A Drop To Drink run of uh, V5 with uh, Jacob Burgess on Loading Ready Run, uh, which is actually uh, some content creators that have been around for a long time. And I sing their praise. I also am associated with them in the sense of back in the day because we're from the same place uh i volunteered for their desert bus for hope uh charity fundraiser uh both like as a uh, site volunteer and as a craft along member i have moved on from that because i'm no longer in the same city and also you know other things have taken up my time for crafting uh but uh you know still a great yearly fundraiser that uh 
if you have the chance to check out it, I recommend it's it's weird though, but in the good way. <laughs> I I used to watch a lot of it. I'm a I'm a big fan of Vine Sauce, mm. and now he's one of the streamers that does that. Yeah. Uh, so Jacob Burgess, who actually uh, wrote uh, part or was a contributor to uh, Cult of the Blood God books, or the the V five source book Cult of the Blood Gods, and uh, he had a really good campaign and i was just like you know what i i can do this i it was in the middle of the pandemic uh i had gotten my podcast up and running and i was like this is really cool this is interesting and the more i learned about both v5 and the universe as a whole i was just like this is totally my jam this this is this is cool and fun and interesting and like Aside from the stuff that is very nope or cringe, which we will specifically not talk about, <laughs> uh, it's a really cool and interesting universe. And it has one of those very neat veneers of, you know, well, it doesn't matter if stuff contradicts each other because this is all propaganda unless you were there. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think that's one thing I really like. I'd almost consider that a strength is like the stuff that you could consider like nope or cringe is going to be different for everybody but it, the mm -hmm. system's like not afraid to kind of touch on so a lot of real world stuff even if you can make it optional in your personal game i think mm -hmm. well i I'm... think being a modern game even if it doesn't always maybe do it in the way you'd like or expect i think the fact that they're very openly being like this takes place right now in mm -hmm. a slightly different world and we're going to touch on real world stuff i think it's nice to see in a world where all the other games are kind of like this is a hundred two thousand years in the future or like this takes place in like the oldie fantasy yeah having <laughs> something a little more rooted is uh, nice no absolutely and it it gives a more immediate catharsis i think i i think that is one of its strengths uh and yeah like there's one of the overlaps i really like between vampire uh and world of darkness and uh battletech is you get you know books from the camarilla the anarch and the sabbat and you know like all the other systems and supernatural stuff but <clears throat> sorry uh and in battletech you have all the source books for all of the uh, factions which are you know they're not bad but they're a basic personality a skeleton to build off of but the original run of novels in battletech was like eight i, I want to say if you're counting the mech warrior ones before fasa like shipped everything off to whiz kids i want to say it was like 65 maybe 70 novels Damn. and that's a lot and it's not all one side like you literally get novels from characters of every faction and uh you get this really interesting perspective of you know seeing events from different sides sometimes literally seeing conversations from different characters in the same room and there's all these perspectives and you know no one is no one's the good guy no one's the bad guy everybody has pros everybody's has cons you know like and that's a lot of what it's like in the world of darkness <laughs> yeah it definitely is a setting of no nuance nuance that's a good way but i'll say no heroes no villains except situationally but mm -hmm. 
<laughs> I um so I don't know too much about the BattleTech lore. I played some of the video games. I think I played the Mech Warrior game for like the original PlayStation. Nice. If I'm remembering nice. properly that what that's that's my like biggest experience I've had with the series. But um yeah, I know even with Vampire, I've I've read a couple of the clan novels and they 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 have very different perspectives, which is always mm-hmm. interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, Battletech is uh, definitely interesting, and uh, you you get some interesting perspectives, especially when you start having the point of view being uh, clan warriors who are pretty removed from our cultural touchstones, we'll say. (laughs) Yeah, that would make sense. Mm -hmm. After uh, near total nuclear destruction and 100 years onward from that. At least 100 years. (laughs) Yeah. But... uh... One question we always ask people is, um, what would be your favorite clan in Vampire the Masquerade? Ah, uh, ooh, that's that's a tough one because um, I honestly got to ST Vampire before I got to play Vampire. Uh, and so uh, one of the things I did was build my city, the city I live in, as a, a playground for my players. And, you know, I wanted it to be diverse. And so I read all of the clans and I read all of the books. And by read all of the books, I mean, read the stuff I had access to. I had looks over at pile of book shame. Uh, (laughs) And all of the clans are interesting to me in some way. They all have strengths. They all have failings. And they are all a lens to express some sort of story or human condition that you want, which is like an incredibly wordy non-answer, I know. But <laughs> uh, I I feel it's true, and that's a strength of the game because that allows a player to uh, jump into any clan that they want, theoretically. Whereas, you know, if a player in D&D is like, I only like ranged combat, well, now you're like, removed from playing these certain classes (laughs) Uh, i personally really like the malkavians uh as someone who is going through self-reflection growth uh some life experiences and uh talking to professionals and life and stuff um I think they, if done well, they are incredibly interesting and I think have a lot of potential, but all of that potential is surrounded by a whole lot of landmines. That's fair. That's fair. Um, I have said on the show before, I think they are probably my favorite clan, Um, but it's also one that I always am careful to play if I'm not with like playing with the friends that I have always played with for over the years and know what they're okay with and what's not they're not okay with like I wouldn't join a new game not a beginner class and not a new party class (laughs) yeah you don't want to be the guy who's like we're gonna play the silly game and you're like oh I built a character who's dealing with like post-traumatic disorder by seeing visions of their dead soldier buddies talking to them (laughs) See, this is why session zero is important. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, yeah. Uh, it, I say that, and I actually have session zero with uh, one of your co-hosts, John, tomorrow. And uh, it was funny. I was looking at the calendar, and I realized, oh, tomorrow is also the two-year anniversary of my podcast. And uh, just kind of funny how timing works out that way. <laughs> hey, congratulations. 
Thank you. It, 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 the first year honestly flew by. I was like, oh, right. Yeah, I guess. Uh, yeah, that is when we started. I, I got to get back to work. Uh <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of how it went for us. We hit our one year about a month ago. I've already lost track exactly, but yeah. it is very recently. I, we I recall uh, wishing you congratulations in uh, the Discord. <laughs> yeah, it, it is interesting when you're creating something on a schedule like this, how uh, quickly it, you kind of forget how long you've been doing it. Mm-hmm. Routine is a powerful thing, yeah, both once, positive and negative. Yeah, once something's become ritualized, watch out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so uh, I saw you, I believe you just released your 106 episode. Yes, that was uh, yesterday. Uh, that was the Talon. And uh, yeah, so 106. Um We've been going for two years. Uh, if you do the math, that's about uh, an episode a week. But we started off uh, two episodes a week because early days, uh, the pandemic, uh, I was off work at the time and free time and you can only play so many video games before you're like, hmm, I need a creative outlet. Uh <laughs> Yeah, that, that's exactly how we started too, except yeah. about a year into it, we, mm-hmm. when we thought we were safe the first time. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the uh, started off with a breakneck production schedule and uh, then, you know, got back to work full time and that had to gear down. And also uh, scope creep is a thing. Anyone trying to make something or be a create content creator uh be aware of scope creep keep that in line because it's going to happen you can't stop it you can only rein it in <laughs> yeah, sometimes you have to tell yourself no maybe this can be two episodes we don't need a three-hour episode or yeah there, there were some machines where i was just like so this is three episodes and it's an hour and a half each of- i should have made this four uh <laughs> we've had we had to stop ourselves because we were originally like we're going to release an hour around an hour episode and it's crept to about an hour and a half and we've had some scripts that we're pushing into like two hours and we're like oh we got to break these up we really need to break these up yeah and uh our current production schedule is uh one episode every two weeks and i'm working to get the youtube channel uh up to date the backlog i'm only about 15 episodes behind uh so you know catching up uh and my co-host chandler uh being the uh battle tech lover that he is and also the lover of combined arms uh took it upon himself to start a uh side project sister show called armor up where he looks at the vehicles and other weapons platforms of uh the battletech universe as a uh, additional thing and uh his co-host is uh the mr brute from, who is a uh, fixture in the community especially if you are in and around wnrp wolfnet radio podcast which is actually uh the community that i met all of these fine people through uh because communities you know how they are the venn diagram there's a lot of overlap <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You know, shout outs where they are needed. <laughs> That's really cool. I know we've been more and more involved in the vampire community or the family, if you will. Mm-hmm. And and so it's really cool to meet new people through that. And 
just getting to see what everyone else who's into the vampire community has been doing. So uh, tell us a little bit more about like the Battletech community. I know you speak really highly of it. Uh, yeah. So the Battletech community, honestly, is one of those ones that I feel I am a late comer to because I found the universe when I was kind of a mid to late teenager, enjoyed it a whole bunch back before the internet was as established. And so it was kind of like my little oasis that I know other people enjoy, but I don't have any connection to them. And then uh, there was a bit of a resurgence uh, in uh, the late or in in the late 2010s with uh, HBS BattleTech, which is a BattleTech uh, turn-based uh, strategy game, uh, which I highly recommend. It is very very good. Uh, and then also Catalyst Games had a Kickstarter, which was way more successful than they anticipated. And since then, the community has kind of uh, come out of hibernation. Uh, other people have referred to it as the Battletech Renaissance, you know, because we have a whole bunch of people who have played the video games, uh, know it as MechWarrior, uh, you know, playing it as a teenager, now are late 20s early 30s and hey i remember that i like war games you know let's check this out i have disposable income <laughs> but the community overall is uh really great because it's kept the uh ip alive during the dark days um there's a strong fiction community like the boards and the forums uh go back years there's community members I have on my Discord who have been like, hey, I recognize you. Were you on that form? And they're like, yeah, I recognize you too. You know, so it's kind of the, the Venn diagram of the Battletech community is very wide. And it's one of those universes slash IPs that pretty much everybody has heard of or like has some experience with, if only like their cousin played a lot of MechWarrior. <laughs> Uh, and I, what I, I love the community. They are absolutely great. One of the things I feel we are great. Uh, one of the things I feel we are terrible about, and I include myself in this, we are really bad at networking and promoting ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're just those like nerds in the back of the local game store with the stack of uh, you know rule books with these very articulately painted uh, or sorry, very detailed painted uh, miniatures that uh, have been playing the same game for eight hours. <laughs> it's a big barrier to entry and uh, tough, to, tough to break into that conversation. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, I, I can relate to that. I'm actually not sure what the battle uh, tech community around me is like. Unfortunately, the closest game store to me is a games workshop. So mm -hmm. I'm sure they're not having battle tech tournaments, but... No. Uh, although a lot of their players are probably playing that now because uh, we have been one of the ports from the Games Workshop Exodus, we'll say. <laughs> say someone does want to get into Battletech, uh, pick up the core book, give it a read, maybe mm -hmm. check out your podcast, and yeah, then sure. where would you say uh, they go next? So there's uh, a bunch of discords and online communities, Facebook groups, uh, for like local groups, also Megamech as a resource, that is a great place for people to learn how to play. Cause like I said, it does a lot of the heavy lifting. There's interface stuff that you can turn on that will uh, show you where you can move. So you don't have to count it out sort of thing. 
there's dedicated discords uh or sorry there's dedicated areas on discords to like getting people taught how to play there's also you know a very active community on the wnrp uh discord wh who do uh a weekly games uh tuesday night fight uh where you can throw some stuff at the wall and have fun we have a regimental uh, campaigns going, which uh, Chandler is doing an excellent job organizing. And yeah, there, there's uh, a lot of places you can learn. And if you just find the right place, you can be like, hey, can someone teach me? I'd, I'd just like to pick up and learn how to play. Most people will be like, yeah, absolutely. How much How much time do you got? What do you know? You know, it's just one of those, you, you got to poke us and ask, you know? <laughs> So it definitely sounds like read the core book, maybe do a little online research and just try and mm -hmm. find some people and be like, hey, can I hang out with you guys? Yeah, uh, there are also uh, Catalyst uh, demo agents that do games at uh, local game shops. A couple weeks ago, I went to a grinder where uh, the uh, demo agent had basically pre-made a set of lists of machines with uh, approximately the same point value that people could pick a die out of a bag, roll, uh, and whatever you rolled uh, on the on the dice and the color of the die uh, determined what you got off the table. And as soon as you died, you just rolled again and sent another machine in and you kept going. And it was a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, uh, this is a really good community because it's one of those ones I feel, and maybe this is just my lived experience, uh, where like, if you're like, hey, I'm not 100%, can we double check? Everyone's just like, yeah, absolutely. You know, because we recognize that there's a lot of rules. <laughs> that sounds really awesome. So grinder, that's that just where like everyone throws mechs in and you go at it? Exactly, a free-for-all. <laughs> okay. Yeah, see, yeah. That, that seems like a little less intimidating when there's a bunch of people there and mm -hmm. then just that's... trying to, like, I, I remember trying to get into Warhammer and it's like, all right, so you got to find someone else to play with. And then this guy's got this army that he's been building for two years and he's going to be giving you pointers while also trying to absolutely destroy you. And then <laughs> just a weird, yeah. weird vibe all around mm -hmm. for me anyway. No, I, I totally understand it and get it. Uh, the, the analogy or comparison to the grinder I went to a couple weeks ago was, uh, one of the players pulled a machine that has like quite literally the only mech that has a standard piece of experimental tech on it like it's this piece of tech exists it is established it's on other vehicles and things but the only mech it is on is on this one and it does this weird rule thing and <laughs> So it's more, unless it's like, it's less of a, uh, this is how you do it in this situation. This It's like, no, this is just a weird tech. Here's what it does. Go at it. <laughs> you rolled, you, you rolled a very strange niche scenario. So we, we might all have to look this one up kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you've got a little game going uh, in your local community. Uh, well, it, technically it's in your local community because uh, <laughs> we figured out this last week we're going to uh, host or we're going to have it hosted on your guys' Discord. Uh, but it's uh, my game of Vampire the Masquerade. Uh, I use 5th edition. Uh, I'm going to have some friends, uh, members of my community, uh, and my brother and uh, your co-host, John. And uh, we're going to 
run around Calgary and uh, figure out what's going to happen because I've made a sandbox for them to play in and uh, it'll be interesting because, uh, well, the, the hope is that one day I can get everything codified and uh, written down enough, you know, remove it from the brain meat and put it on a page enough that theoretically I could do a storyteller vault or something. But because uh, everyone I describe it to, they're like, that's super cool and scary. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Calgary is owned by the Camarilla and Edmonton is owned by the Anarchs and they have a alliance, a non-aggressions pact because of things that have happened in the past, specifically when they worked together to push the Sabbat out. And the city of Calgary is the main stage and uh, it's run by a prince who was an industrialist before he got embraced. And I kind of took this weird cathartic uh, perspective on it for building the world because I was like okay I'm a Camarilla prince I have unlimited funding and I can do what I want how would I build an actual utopia functioning society city that is kind of like you know self-sustaining and good and you know as close to a paradise as I can think of at least for me you know in the in the vacuum now let's gonna put a now let's go and put a vampire in charge of it. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> it's like he does lots of good things for the population, but the byproduct is what he wants, not the like the the intent of the good thing is a byproduct, you know. <laughs> he wants to make sure that all the people in Calgary are fed because that buys loyalty to him and his company, and also it makes them more passive because when people are hungry, bad stuff happens. <laughs> Yeah, company towns are pretty scary. I was uh, actually listening to a podcast earlier today about um, Gary, and mm -hmm. it was originally a company town, and that's how it ended up the way it is. Yeah, like the idea of a company town, like, I I don't know what it is about me. Uh, maybe it's like my Scottish heritage, because uh, the Scots also settled down, you know, in uh, Kentucky and West Virginia, the Appalachians and all that. Uh, but I've always there's something about that vibe story area that I've always been like, I dig that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and the idea of company towns are just like, I feel a very untapped sort of horror setting because it has that institutionalized systemic sort of horror, as well as the people being monsters on top of that. And so then when you put that into vampire the masquerade you know you can be more like well the people being monsters are actual monsters and uh maybe the systemic systems that are exploitive are set up be by the monsters <laughs> no yeah kind of a top-down situation there yeah well i mean every everybody designs a little different right <laughs> yeah <laughs> no it's interesting i usually see i usually go work in the exact opposite direction i like ask my players what they're going to play and then i write everything out there i'm like last game i was like all right i've got three cities picked out tell me what you guys want to play <laughs> and then i narrow it down i'm really I, I i have a lot of big grand ideas but the granular details just kind of slowly fall into place no that's fair i i like to bake a uh, sandbox that uh, my players can play in and you know there's 
there's a timer on a lot of things, whether you realize it or not, whether you've been told about it or not, and stuff's going to happen, you know, schedules are set. <laughs> and uh, how you how you deal with it and how you play in that is uh, neat and interesting. I mean, I'm also thinking, so the plan long term is actually to get the, uh, the game eventually uh, archived or streamed or recorded for uh, other people to enjoy. Uh, but that is a little bit further down the road. And uh, one of the other things further down the road, which uh, after I get that all set up, because, you know, I can reuse that homework, is uh, Battletech also actually has uh, RPG settings, or sorry, has RPG mechanics. It has two systems. It has a Destiny system and a Time of War system. And we recently got told that uh, a Time of War will get a uh, third reprinting which is exciting because it has been out of print for a long time. And uh, honestly, a lot of the community thought it was not going to be supported. So that's super cool. So is it a reprint or an update or a new edition or do we not know yet? Uh, it's it's a reprint. Uh, okay. It's the third It's a third printing. There'll be like a little bit of errata like there always is sort of thing. But, you know, there is no overhaul. The, uh, the new system is actually Destiny, which they came out with recently as in as part of the Kickstarter. And it is interesting. I think it has a lot of merit, but there is some mechanics that I find need tweaking. But then again, I'm also the person, uh, I am the type of DM, ST, GM, whatever acronym you use, where, uh, so we have the established canon. This is all of the stuff we know. That's cool, but what happens at our table is our universe this is our world you know <laughs> it's it's i i definitely get behind that kind of idea the only problem now is that me sarah skipper and james have been doing the sh vampire show long enough now we actually know a mm -hmm. lot of the the lore whereas before i was like well i know no, like none of the lore so i assume no one else does so <laughs> unless someone brings it up it's not canon in my game but yeah. But now we're all we'll be sitting there and be like, wait a minute, we talked about this on an episode. I don't think. Yes, one one of the follies of being a content creator. <laughs> <laughs> I know too much. I've seen what man was never meant to see. <laughs> yeah, no, but it's a it's a cool universe. You can play it as a single person doing the crime syndicate stuff because uh, the universe has a lot of uh, uh, low tech shadow run vibes. We'll say. And, uh, you know, you can then pilot the stompy robots and do the classic battle tech. And then you can go up to the units uh, or go up to commanding units with alpha strike. And yeah, no, again, it is one of those universes where how much of the buffet do you want? Because it's, it's all there. You just got to figure out what you want to grab. That's interesting. So you could almost like run a campaign where oh, you're all playing pilots in like an RPG-like setting. And then, oh, now it's time for the mech fight. So we're going to switch over to the other rule set and actually play out like the mech battle. And then... Absolutely. There, there are systems, both homebrew and uh, official for like porting over the stats between not only like systems, but uh, like also uh, like certain quirks getting a or certain abilities that are in one system being like, well, this is how this translates to this, you know? 
that's awesome i love that idea being mm-hmm. able to like play a game that has like multiple uh scale view of what's happening like you play you start out as like you said like a just like a little like sci-fi criminal and you work your way up to like a mech commander with a whole unit behind him yeah that is the glory role that is the glory road of the mercenary you start with nothing you get a good couple contracts and you just snowball that into more luck fortune and death and killing and build a build a unit of bloodthirsty killers behind you (laughs) (laughs) well awesome so uh people want to learn more about this battle tech stuff uh where can they find you online uh we our podcast is on uh every rss feed or service that i am aware of if you just search on the origin of battle mechs we should come up uh, we also have a uh, dedicated uh, website, uh, which I will send a link to Hunter, so it can be in the show notes. We also have a YouTube channel. Also, uh, I will send a link to that because uh, we're not yet up to the point where we get a name URL. We're still at the point where it's just numbers and letters. Uh, <laughs> but we're getting there soon, hopefully. And uh, yeah, the YouTube channel is quickly getting caught up. Uh, the art on that channel is uh, done by Sir Dubdub. The, the art on that channel for the videos is done by Sir Dubdub, another community member, which, uh, you know, shout out to that talented individual. Uh, we have a Twitter, which is, uh, let me double check that just because. It's been a while since I thought about it and I don't want to speak. Uh, we have a Twitter, which is at Origin of Mechs. Uh, we also have a Facebook group. Uh, and the primary hub that uh, honestly I do most of my uh, most of my interactions on are, is the uh, community Discord, the Armory of Ouroboros, which uh, I will also provide a link for. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh... Thanks for coming on. I'll make sure to post all that info down in the notes below. Um, And unless you got anything else, Uh, I think that does it. I think that does it other than thank you for having me on. I appreciate all the hard work you guys do and enjoy your guys' podcast because it is really good. I was uh, turned on to it by a uh, crazy community member from uh, both of our uh, discords uh, they in fact baited me into uh, listening to a couple episodes and it uh, got me hooked so I'm glad and uh, it's been a pleasure meeting all of you guys and uh, this has been interesting and fun doing the cross-pollination <laughs> yeah I know uh, you and I have been playing in one of our many like community games together mm-hmm. and that's been super fun I, I will admit I do listen to uh, on the origin but I usually click on ones that the name sounds interesting and so maybe i should be listening chronologically because sometimes Uh, i'm like this is really cool and sometimes i'm a little bit lost totally fair i mean that is one of those uh it's an issue with the format i actually do have a uh community a, a google doc uh sheet that has a breakdown of each episode where like if you want to find out where we uh, talk about this subject in the data dive or what have you, uh, it's a little easier to cross-reference because I know some community members are like, I actually really don't care about the mechs. I just kind of want to learn about the lore. 
<laughs> which is fair, totally fair. I mean, that's one of the reasons I am planning to do some super cuts of the data dives, but uh, I, I need to get a couple of the houses a little further into the history for that because don't want to be uh, showing favoritism, I guess. I don't know, shrug. <laughs> <laughs> that's why we let our listeners decide those kind of things. That way mm-hmm. no one can accuse us of anything. <laughs> I mean, that's why I chose to do all the mechs chronologically, because it's like, ah, now I don't have to decide. I just look at the list. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, again, thank you for having me on. Uh, This has been a lot of fun and interesting, and uh, you guys do great work, and I look forward to everything in the future. (laughs) Absolutely. I'm excited to hear that game you're talking about getting started. Mm -hmm. And... um... Yeah, uh, special thanks to everyone for listening. Um, thanks to Paralyze for our theme song, as always. Um, you can find us on Twitter, on Instagram. We've got all that link down below. We've got a Patreon We've got where we've got a bunch of different tiers. We've got everything from uh, getting to vote on what we talk about on our episodes to getting custom character artwork done by one of our hosts, Sarah. So if that sounds interesting to you, go check that out. And even if not, just thanks for listening. Um, and I'm out of things to say. So have a good evening and we'll talk to you later. Class dismissed. Everybody have a great day. Ding.